Hello and welcome to the Art of Oppression podcast. These podcasts offer the opportunity to hear from artists and or activists who express and articulate their experiences of oppression or inequity using creative means. My name is Patricia Francis, I'm a filmmaker and I'm interested in voice, where voice is more than a tonal or other means of communicating using language with others. It is an embodied consciousness that we have that enables us to understand and discern ourselves as individuals. Today, I'm in conversation with Zeta Holborn. Zeta campaigns for equality, freedom, justice and human rights through arts and activism. And I'll be in conversation with her about her activism, the art she creates, as well as her drive and her motivation to speak on behalf of those who find themselves in situations where they're unable to do so for themselves. Welcome, Zeta. Thank you for having me on. That's lovely. I'm looking forward to our conversation. So you're an activist, a campaigner, an artist, author, columnist, a poet. You're also a co-founder of organisations and a speaker. I presume I've not missed anything. That sounds about right. There might have been something, but this year, that sounds about right to me. <laughs> Lovely. Can you tell me a little bit about all that you do? Okay. Um, yeah, so I'm a community activist. I'm the co-founder and national chair of Barrack UK, which is um, a UK-wide organisation campaigning against the racism and injustice faced by black workers, service users and communities, and also the um, adverse disproportionate impacts of austerity. And that was our focus when we were first established but I'm involved in a range of other coalitions and community groups that are campaigning for equality, uh, for justice, for human rights, for migrant and refugee rights. Barak also has um, an arm which does humanitarian aid work um, with refugees, um, organising aid missions, and um, I'm a trade unionist. I'm the national co-chair of Artists' Union of England, and I'm also the National Vice President of the Public and Commercial Services Union. And with those roles come a range of other roles within union federations and bodies in the UK, um, Europe-wide, and also um, internationally. Um, and I uh, also, um, as you've, you've set out, uh, a multidisciplinary artist, so I'm a visual artist. I curate art exhibitions as well. And um, I'm a poet, an author, uh, a writer, and a vocalist. So I do a mixture of different things in the arts. Um, but all the work I do, um, as you set out, is really to campaign for equality, freedom, justice, and human rights. So I use all of those different platforms, um, ways of campaigning to do that i just you know i've come across your work and what you you do before and i'm always amazed at how much you do in 24 hours you know it's almost as though your day your day is is 48 hours where do you get that the time the motivation the energy from that's a good question, and it's one that lots of people ask me all the time, and one I ask myself as well. Um, I guess I um, I don't sleep a lot. I probably should sleep more than I do. Um, 
uh, I'm also somebody who really um, has mastered the art of multitasking and juggling things. And because the things that I'm doing intersect and interconnect, um, mm. yeah, you know, I have to have quite good organization um, and discipline and, you know, scheduling my time. And that also means scheduling in self-care and leisure time as well, making sure that I do all of those things. Not always easy, and there's things that come up as the emergencies that take priority, and then you might have to focus on that one thing, or I could get a commission, and then my focus is on that um, for a while. And then yeah. sometimes you just need time out. So, yeah, you kind of just try and juggle and balance and, and multitask and you know, also delegate and call on others to, right. to take action and work with you. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned self-care. So that's something that I'd like to have a chat with you a bit later on. So uh, tell me about Zeta Holborn. What was the journey that brought you to this point in your life? Um, as a child, I was quite conscious from young age of injustice and human rights issues. Um, also growing up in London in the 70s and 80s, I experienced um, discrimination firsthand. And I would say both racism and sexism. And um, it meant that I had to stand up for my rights. And actually I was raised to like stand up for my rights and speak out and not take any abuse. Um, and so that was sort of, um, yeah, it was ingrained in me to do that. So I somehow had like a really strong sense of um, if there was injustice that I couldn't stand by. I feel quite emotionally if I see somebody facing an injustice, whether that's, you know, somewhere else in the world and I'm seeing it on the news or it's happening in front of my eyes. Mm. My parents were also part of the anti-apartheid movement, the boycott campaign. Um, so I kind of learned how to use protest through boycotting um, South African goods as a means of taking action on an issue or a cause as well. Um, and it's through that boycotting of South African goods, that was my journey into learning about the anti-apartheid movement. But it also meant as a student, I was very much involved in the boycott campaign, organizing protests and getting students in my art school to boycott South African goods. Um, and then in my teens, my um, father lived in a number of um, different Asian and African countries, um, which his work took him to. He was working for UNDP, United Nations Development Project. And so that gave me um, a good understanding of different cultures and um, religions and lifestyles and that also influenced you know my art and creativity as well because he was a handicraft and textile designer so he was working in that industry in those countries so um you know being able to experience firsthand traditional and local crafts was quite inspirational as well but it happened it happened that um i would uh, for example and go and spend a summer holiday with him and I'd often be going to a country that was war-torn or under curfew or a bomb was going off somewhere near. So I also had that sense of, you know, conflict and um, uh, uh, a 
abuses and human rights issues yeah. as well as a result of that. Were you? What do you do? Do you remember ever feeling scared? Um, I don't think I did feel scared. I kind of um, took it in my stride, but I was conscious that you know I could have been moments away or steps away from being caught in the crossfire of something. And I think um, when it really struck me is when I was under curfew, we were under curfew, and we couldn't leave. And even to sort of go to the airport, it became quite a perilous journey just to travel to the airport. Yeah, when we were departing. So I wouldn't say I felt scared. Um, It's almost like I was kind of documenting what was happening and um, using that experience to raise awareness. It's almost as though it sounds as almost as it was, it became part of your DNA. Your your parents were already politically active in some way when they're part of the boycott and so on. And, and you were experienced that, grew up in that environment maybe. Would you describe yourself as a leader? Yeah, I guess I am um, a leader. You know, I have leading roles in trade unions. I have leading roles in the organisations that I've co-founded. And, yeah, I've led a number of campaigns. So I guess on that basis, I would be defined as a leader and I would define myself as a leader. Mm. But I'm all about people power and us coming together and working together. Do you remember your first campaign? I think the first campaign was actually um, boycotting South African goods, absolutely, because that happened from a very young age. Um, And then I was involved in um, the student union um, in my first art school, and we were protesting against... um, the introduction of tuition fees back then. It's like we've gone gone round and round with that one. Um, you know, and I was one of, of that generation where I was fortunate enough to um, benefit from having free education and having grants. And they wanted to introduce fees. And so we, um, we staged a massive protest. It was a national protest. Coaches came from all over the UK, but my art school at the time was in London. And so we had a, you know, a central role um, to to play, and we almost got crushed to death. Well, I did. So you know, and that was a student demo. So I couldn't have anticipated when I went out that this was going to be like a really perilous thing to do. Um, but the first thing that happened is I was almost charged by police mounted on horses, oh, right. um, and literally, you know, literally just got away at the last second. And then the police did this thing where they, they stopped us having our sitting on all the bridges across the River Thames. Um, they forced us in onto the South Bank. And they did it at Westminster Bridge and Waterloo Bridge, if anybody knows London and the setup, which meant they were sending several thousand people one way and from another way to crack, to basically clash in the middle. Um, and that meant, like, people couldn't breathe there was nowhere to go they couldn't go back because the police were blocking them and we couldn't go Uh forward because we were going into each other and we were literally getting um crushed 
what happens is at the last minute, um, the the GLA at the time had their offices there, and they opened their windows, and they were, I can still remember they were quite high windows, and they literally snatched at us. Oh and I can gosh. remember somebody snatched my shoulder or a limb and just dragged me up oh by one goodness. limb. You know, they leant over because they had to because they were quite high up. They just had to lean over and, and grab any parts of our bodies that they could and just haul us up into the window and then they let us out, you know, the front the front door of that mm. building onto the street. So yeah. Um twice I was kind of saved at the last minute, you know, as part of a um probably the first big demonstration other than the ones um against apartheid in Trafalgar Square. That sort of brings me nicely to to my next question really, because a lot of your actions and your activism, your fights relate to injustice obviously um and you, you take on the state you know uh, so you're, you're not shy of basically challenging the state and I just wonder how that impacts you personally I suppose this comes into what you talked about earlier around per, uh, uh, self-care yeah um well yeah I don't see any reason to be afraid of the, the state whilst Yes, they do have racist and draconian policies. Um, we also live in a democracy where we have a right to protest. We have a right to stand up for our rights, although those those rights are being threatened exactly. right now yeah. through the police and crime bill. Um, and, you know, my grounding in student politics and then trade unionism has um, taught me over many years how to organise, how to um, mobilise, and the importance of um, solidarity and unity and standing together so we can't be um, divided and ruled. So that's an important principle in organising any kind of campaign mm. or action, that you're not doing it by yourself, you know, so you, where you could just be picked off as a single person. It's not about glory for you. It's about us standing together collectively as a people, mobilising as many people as we can. Um, so we are a force to be reckoned with, you know, because we're representing communities where thousands and thousands of people, we're a global community, a UK-wide community. How does it impact you personally? Um, well, I guess when you are successful in a campaign... Um, there's a, a sense of, um, or, you know, even just coming together to campaign, that is quite uplifting um, and empowering to do that. Um, but as activists, we can definitely get burnout, you know, because we can't just be on the go all the time. That's why we have to try and balance things out. Um but I think in a lot of ways I'm fortunate in that I create art because creating art is my outlet in terms of expressing how I feel um, and letting my emotions and feelings out and processing them. So just so I, I will be talking to you about your art, so so that's great. Can I just just thinking about for for instance the the, the police and crime bill, um, yeah, and your you're thinking around that and and whether in your experience whether you feel that actually 
in the end this bill will get through what do what needs to be done for more people to hear about it and understand the implications of it it's really like a case of each one teach one it's about spreading the word at word it's about everybody doing something um you know if they can sign a petition if they can re retweet a tweet if they can come to an online meeting or they can come to a demonstration or protest. Um, they can lobby their MP, they can write to their MP. People will do all different things. They can they'll do what they feel comfortable with or capable of mm-hmm. doing. Um, you know, everyone's different, but it's about spreading the word. It's true that these bills where we think they're kind of filling up our lives and you know, we're following all the news reports and we're involved in circles where we're discussing the issues all the time. Of course, they're not necessarily on the radar of everybody. So one one of the important things to do, and not just with this bill, you know, with, with for example, the Nationality and Borders Bill as well mm. is happening at the same time, um, is to make people aware of how this could impact on them how it could impact on their family or their friends or people in their community. Um, Because I think once people realise, actually, this is about me as well. It's about people I care about. It's breaching my rights. It's taking away um, my democratic rights. Then people are more likely to do something about it. If they think it's about someone else over there Mm. not everyone else is going to be interested in that or engage do you think lobbying mps makes a a difference when when you're up against mps being you know having the whip and so on does that in your experience has has it made a difference yes definitely um and obviously it depends on who who the mp is and where they sit politically and all of those things but definitely, as a general principle, putting the pressure on them is important because they are elected by the communities they're supposed to serve. Mm. Um, and so if they're not actually um, serving that community or listening to the concerns and needs of that community, then they could feel the, the front of that in the ballot box later on. Um, and they do have a duty and responsibility um, to respond to their constituents' concerns and act on their behalf. Um, you know, they, they're elected, aren't they, on a manifesto of what they would do, but also a commitment on what they would do for local people in their community. But we also have very sympathetic and supportive MPs that will work with us. And if, as part of a campaign where we may be doing a number of things, we may be protesting, we may be using social media, we might be in a letter-writing campaign. Um, if we can get an MP to raise uh, an early-day motion or ask a parliamentary question and raise our concerns in Parliament, then that's quite important in terms of that awareness raising. Because it, over the years, there's been so many times where I've been involved in the lobby of MPs and where we assume because they're politicians they know everything that's going on on that particular issue it may not have even been on their radar or they didn't understand the scale of the issues before you know we've briefed them and um lobbied them um and so yes it can definitely make a difference um and 
it might make the difference in raising that public awareness that we need to or um, escalating a campaign or getting the government to back down. And obviously, it's not that easy. Mm. You know, I'm not saying that, that you could just do that with a click of your, your finger um, because we're dealing with quite draconian and racist policies um, where they're intent of just continuing because even though these the, the clauses in these bills have been defeated in the House of Lords a couple of times, they're still continuing with them. So it's not necessarily always going to be the case that we're going to stop an entire piece of legislation, but if we can make it better, if we can get the worst parts of it removed, if we can reduce the worst parts, then all of it would still have been worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, your network stretches wide. You're involved in so many um, aspects of, 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 and areas of work. And um, at the European Network of Cultural Centres, um, in an article, I think you said, the more diversity we have and channel through our work within the culture, culture sector, the more we break down barriers, counter discriminatory views and create a platform to both celebrate difference and promote understanding and unity. So would you say basically that is what motivates what you do? Well, it's one of the things that, that um, motivates, yes, and so I'm very passionate about equality. Um, I believe that we should have equality in our lifetime, that it's already been fought for through previous generations making huge sacrifices, sometimes, you know, sacrificing their lives as well. Um, so it shouldn't just be um, a, an aspiration for future generations. It's something that we deserve now. Um, and in order to live with dignity and freedom, we need equality. Um, you know, it links to so many other things. Inequality also links to poverty um, and deprivation as well as um, uh, injustice. Um, so it is important that it goes hand in hand with those other things as well. Thank you. So um, do you think then that we will achieve equality and diversity in your lifetime? It's looking pretty bleak at the moment because even gains that were were won and hard fought for by um, the generation before mine, they've been stripped away in recent years. Um, so, you know, we, it feels like we're going backwards. Um, and we link that to having had over 10 years of austerity and cuts, which amplifies um, discrimination. We've now gone through um, the pandemic over the last two years, which has again amplified um, discrimination, um, uh, you know, and adverse disproportionate outcomes. Um, so it, it, it is a battle at the moment. It is a real battle. Do you, do you think we'll achieve it ever? I have to hold on to the hope that we will achieve it one day because otherwise there would be no point to anything I've been doing all my life if I didn't believe that. Thank you. And that's why basically what you do is so important. Um, 
Thank you so much, Sita. We've actually come to the end of this episode, but we'll be continuing the conversation with Sita in the next The Art of the Depression podcast. So to hear more, please listen in. <laughs>